Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. Awesome. Are you ready for the Word of God? Great. Have you got your Bibles there? Uh, how about you turn to the, the Gospel of John? And we're going to read a passage from there to start off with. You know, one of the things I love about Lifehouse Church is that every Sunday, no matter whether you're here at our North Campus, whether you're over at East Campus or overseas at Poland in our Poznan Campus, every week we see people put their hand up and say, hey, I'd like to get to know Jesus. I think that's so incredible. If, if I were you, I'd be getting more excited about that. That is just so incredible uh, about that. It's just like, wow, that is so cool. Every week, can you believe that? Every single week, it's not only happening here on Sundays, uh, at youth on Friday nights, they're seeing that. Not only youth here on Friday night, but also youth over at East. And now we're having youth at Poznan. It's so exciting just seeing what God is doing at our young adults, where that's happening. People are coming to know Jesus. In our life groups, people are coming to know Jesus. On average for us as a church, as our three churches combined together, uh, we would see anywhere from 15 to 24 hands go up just to say, hey, we'd like to get to know Jesus just a little bit better. That's every week. So you do the maths with that. I don't know, it's more maths than I can do on my fingers, but I think it's somewhere between 700 and 1,200 people every year are asking Jesus into their heart through this church. I think that's so exciting, don't you? But it, it made me start to think uh, a little bit is that we talk about following Jesus and you hear that phrase a lot from the platform or whether you're talking to someone one-on-one and, and people talk a lot about following Jesus. I know for me when I was growing up, when you used to talk about following Jesus, uh, I got a little bit confused sometimes when people said that they were going to follow Jesus and, and what that actually meant to be a follower of Jesus. When I was growing up, they used to tell me that, that there's certain things, if you're going to be called a follower of Jesus, then that means there's certain things you can't do. So what I would be told as a, as a young teenager would be that if I really wanted to be a follower of Jesus, if I really believed that I was going to follow after Jesus, then there were certain movies that I couldn't actually go and see. And, and right now you're probably thinking, yeah, okay, the rated X, rated R movies, whatever, like if, if those sort of ones. When I was a teenager, the movies that I was told that really if you were following Jesus that you couldn't go and see, there was this a movie out called Star Wars. Some of you may have heard of it. Um, I was told that if you, a, a follower of Jesus would not go and see Star Wars because of the content of the movie. E.T., that was another movie I was told as a follower of Jesus that really, if you go and see that movie, really I'd have to call into question whether or not you're actually a follower of Jesus. You might laugh at that, but as a teenager, I was very impressionable. And that was what I was told by my, uh, the people that were up here preaching and, and messages I was listening to was that really to be a follower of Jesus, there was stuff that you couldn't do. There was certain music that you couldn't listen to. There was the devil's music, you know, and you're right away thinking, you know, rock and roll. I'm thinking more probably country, uh, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is. There was even a teaching that went around that said that you could play some music backwards. And if you heard the music backwards, there was actually subliminal messages hidden inside the songs that was trying to convert you to, I don't know, Satan or something like that. I don't know what it was. And so they, they would do that. They would get up here and they would play these music 
backwards and we would listen to these, these messages, these hidden messages inside the song. So we're listening to Star, Stairway to Heaven and Another One Bites the Dust and all this sort of stuff. And, and there's messages in there that says like, start smoking marijuana. And there's another one that says, worship Satan, worship Satan. And I'm there going, whoa. And I've been listening to this music and Michael Jackson's Thriller and everything. They'll say to be a follower of Jesus, there's certain music that you can't listen to. They would say to be a follower of Jesus, there's certain TV shows that you shouldn't watch. And, and some TV shows that you would watch. My dad, I don't know how he did it, but I would like, we had one black and white TV in our house and, and we would try and watch stuff and we didn't have an aerial on our roof. So we were using coat hangers and everything chucked into this thing. So we would try and plan it when my parents were out so that we could watch some of the TV shows that were happening. And then there came the day where he actually bought a video machine and he bought that home. So we would sneak off down to the video shop when they weren't home and get the movies that we wanted to watch. And we would be at home watching those. He would always walk in right at that most inappropriate moment in the show. It could be that they have done nothing, the whole thing, but this one moment the couple decide, oh, we're going to hold hands. Uh, all of a sudden, my dad is there. He would walk in and we would be sprung. He was going, why are you watching that stuff, you know, on TV? It's going to rot your brains and everything else. And, and that was, so I was brought up to believe that to be a follower of Jesus, you couldn't watch certain stuff. You couldn't listen to certain stuff. Uh, you couldn't go certain places. Um, there was teachings that were out to say, really, to be a follower of Jesus means that you don't get a tattoo, uh, that you don't smoke, that you don't drink and, and that you don't swear. Um, for some of those things, I found that a little bit easier. I wasn't really growing up in a home where there was lots of swearing going on. So I found that a little bit easier following that one. The others I kind of struggled with just a little bit. I didn't get a tattoo purely because I just don't like needles. Um, so, but when it came to the swearing one, I remember there was this one time um, I accidentally, I'll say accidentally, I accidentally dropped the F-bomb. And for me, I don't know why I did it. It's not really part of who I am uh, with anything, but I was at school, we were playing baseball out on the field. And for some reason, I dropped the F-bomb out there and I felt so condemned. I felt like I would made the baby Jesus cry, you know? It was just like, I felt so condemned. I remember I was going home that afternoon and I was just like, oh dear God, what sort of person am I? I dropped the F-bomb today and everything else like that. And I, some of you don't even think, I was like, wow, what's the big deal? It was like, for me, it was like the end of heaven and earth. It was like, and I got home and usually my home is a bustling uh, place where like, we had 17 people living in our house at one moment. And so for me to come home, there should usually be chaos everywhere with people running around and doing all sorts of stuff. I got home from school this afternoon after having dropped the F-bomb at school that day and all the cars were there, but there was nobody home. And I went into the lounge room and thinking, where is everybody? All the cars are here and, and there's their cup of tea sitting on the thing with the steam coming off the cup of tea. And, and it looked like there was like food, people were eating, but nobody was around everywhere. And all that was going through my head was the song from Larry Norman that Jesus has come and you've been left behind. And I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, the one day I decided to drop the F-bomb, Jesus decided to come back and here I am being left behind. But it turns out they were just next door at the neighbours. But there were all these rules and all these rituals that people told me that to be a follower of Jesus, you had to do all of these things if you really wanted to be a follower of Jesus. And, you know, and then there were other ones. There would be things like if you really wanted to follow Jesus, that you had to be someone who could pray one hour a day. 
And you had to be someone who read your Bible every single day because if you didn't do these things, how could you ever say that you are a follower of Jesus? And I really struggled with this. I'd like to say that I was one of these people that could read the Bible and, and, and um, pray an hour a day. But my prayer times with God, I would just actually just fall asleep. And I would be there trying to pray and trying to read my Bible and trying to do what I'm told a good follower of Jesus would do. But every time, every time I tried to do it, next thing I know, next minute, I wake up in the morning and I'm there like, God, sorry, I don't know where I closed off that conversation last night, but at some point in the middle of the conversation, I fell asleep. Can you imagine if you're talking to someone and they're falling asleep while you're actually talking to them? Can you imagine what that would be like to God? It is like, wow, you were actually talking to me and now you fell asleep. I felt like such a worthless Christian. I felt like no wonder everybody else gets their prayers answered and I don't. No wonder if I'm in this room here and I'm looking around going, well, you know, wonder God's blessing you and God's blessing you and God's blessing you. But for me, yeah, the reason why God's actually not doing anything significant in my life is simply because I'm actually not a good follower of Jesus because I can't seem to get all the basics right. And these things would weigh heavily on me. I don't know if they do for you or not, but they used to weigh heavily on me. And I used to come under so much guilt and so much condemnation about how could I actually ever follow Jesus? And I just can't seem to get it right. I just can't seem to do the right things. I can't seem to go to the right places and and say the right words. And I can't seem to do this. And then I found this scripture in John chapter four, which we're gonna read out now. And it brought so much freedom to my life that I just wanna share it with you guys today. and, And I pray that it would do the same for you as well. In John chapter four, just from verse one, It says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptising and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptise them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, uh, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. If you read the rest of the story, you find that this Samaritan woman has this encounter with Jesus and Jesus tells her everything about her life. And she gets so uh, touched by what Jesus has said to her, she runs back to her village, her Samaritan village, She tells all the Samaritans there what Jesus had told them. Then they all come and meet Jesus. So all these Samaritans are there with Jesus. And the Bible says at the end of that whole passage, it says that many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of that whole circumstance that just took place. I'm thinking, wow, awesome. That's great. Yay, God. You know, that's a great story. But there's one verse in there that just kind of got me asking some questions. And it's simply verse four. It said this. He said he had to go through Samaria on his way. Jesus is on this journey. He's going from Judea and he's heading towards Galilee. But the Bible says in verse four that he had to go through Samaria on the way. When you understand the the culture and the history of the time where Jesus was living, you understand as you start to unpack that just a little bit, that this verse doesn't actually make any sense. In actual fact, the opposite is true of this verse. And when you start to understand, you had these, this race of people called the Samaritans and you had the Jews. And these two races never got along together. 
In actual fact, uh, Jewish people uh, never hung out with Samaritan people. You may know the story of the Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus told. It was quite a controversial story in Jesus' day because the hero of the story wasn't a good Jew, it was a good Samaritan. These two races never mixed. If a, if a Jewish uh, parent, if their child had brought home a partner or they found someone they wanted to marry and this person happened to be a Samaritan, that would bring shame upon the Jewish family. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't mix. The Jews saw the Samaritans as unclean. They were like people that we don't wanna mix with you because of who you are. This went back, it wasn't just something that was just happening in that day. It went back hundreds and hundreds of years. It was something that was actually built into their DNA almost as it were, into their culture that Jews and Samaritans just didn't mix at all. Jewish people didn't do business with Samaritan people. You just wouldn't mix together. They were basically, they would stay opposites to each other as much as they possibly could. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean. They wouldn't even go down to the thing where they would share a glass of water. A Jewish person wouldn't drink from the same cup as what a Samaritan person had drunk from. And this was the two things that were happening there. But when you understand what this story is saying, we've got a map here to, to show you. The Bible says that Jesus is down this way in Judea and He's heading up towards Galilee. So in Judea is made up of Jews. So we have all the pure race here of Jews heading up there to Galilee, which again is made up of Jews and pure race of Jews. But on the way from here to there, you've got to pass through this place. This is Samaria. So this is where all the uncleans were. So you had pure, unclean, pure. So what the Jewish people used to do is when they were on this journey, instead of just going directly straight from there, straight through up to there, there was a road that did that. If you travelled on that road, it would take you roughly around about a two and a half day journey. It was about 70 miles walking. So to get from here, there was a road that you could go down to get through, go through Samaria, head up to Galilee. But what most Jewish people do, what most respectable Jewish people did is that they would get here at Judea. If they had to travel to Galilee, they would travel to Jericho. Then they would go, there's another little village around here somewhere called Paraya. They would travel over here to Paraya. Then they would walk along a hot, dusty road all the way up here adding another two and a half days to the journey, uh, doubling the time, it was roughly around about 130 miles, just so they could bypass this place called Samaria. Respectable Jews did that. Jesus was a Jewish man. He was, he was brought up in Jewish culture. He was educated in the Jewish system. He knew exactly that this other road existed but when you read this verse, it said that Jesus had to go to Samaria when in actual fact, He didn't. There was another road that Jesus knew that He could take. There was another way that He could get to Samaria, to Galilee, sorry. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There was an alternative route that He could take. It was a more respectable way. It was the way that most Jews went when they had to travel to get to Galilee. Yet Jesus didn't go that way. The Bible says that He had to go that way. In actual fact, it wasn't that He had to go that way, it was that He chose to go that way. So if you know that Jesus then chose to go that way, then the question has to be, if Jesus chose to go through Samaria, if Jesus chose to go through that unclean place, why would Jesus do that as opposed to taking the more respectable route? Why would Jesus go to a place that basically his culture and his upbringing said, you don't associate with this place. Why would Jesus choose to go there as opposed to taking the long way around? They both end up in the same destination. But why would Jesus do that? So travelling with Jesus, you've got these 12 young guys. 
his disciples. And they're with Jesus. These were guys that were handpicked by Jesus. Jesus was walking along the, the, the ocean line one day, the, the beach one day, and he saw these guys fishing. And he said to them, hey, come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And the Bible says it records immediately they dropped their nets and they ran after Jesus and they began to follow Jesus. They dropped everything that they had. Just as a sideline, it's actually good to know that if you wanna follow Jesus, what it actually means is that you've actually gotta drop what's in your hands so that you have empty hands. So many of us say, Jesus, we wanna follow you, but we have our hands full of like a career. We have our hands full of finance. We have our hands full of family. We have our hands full of so many things, things that have happened and everything else. We've got our hands full of so many things. We try then to pick up Jesus and add Him to all the things that we're carrying. But the Word of God says that they left their nets. They actually dropped their nets and followed after Him. So when we come to Jesus, what we have to do is we have to drop our nets in order to be able to follow Him. The Bible says that we have to actually pick up our cross, but it's very hard to pick up something else when your hands are already full of something already. You gotta empty yourself of what you're carrying so that you can pick up what Jesus wants us to carry. And these guys chose to follow after Jesus and they're walking after Him and, and they're, 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 Jesus is, they're Jesus' disciples and everywhere that Jesus is going, they're going. So you can imagine, these were Jewish men these had been brought up the same as Jesus in the Jewish system. They understood about Samaritans and they had been educated right from young children about how not to mix with Samaritans. So when Jesus said to them while they were in Galilee, that, oh, sorry, while they were in Judea, that we were actually gonna go to Galilee, you can imagine they were thinking in their heads, okay, that's like a four and a half day sort of journey, five day journey. Okay, they're imagining what they need to do and everything else. And Jesus said, ah, actually, we're not gonna go that way. We're actually gonna go this way we're actually gonna go right through Samaria. You can imagine what was going through the disciples' minds right then and there, but Jesus, why would you do that? Respectable people don't go that way, Jesus. Jesus, we've got time. It's not like we're in a rush to get somewhere. Jesus, we've got plenty of time. Uh, I think we should go this way, Jesus. We don't go that way, Jesus, we're Jews. We don't go through Samaria because that's where all the unclean people are. Why would you wanna do that, Jesus? All these things and all these thoughts and questions would have been going through their mind. But Jesus had just one very simple little thing that He was trying to teach His disciples. And it was simply this, was that to be a follower of Jesus means that sometimes He's gonna lead you places that you don't wanna go. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, then what you need to understand is that sometimes He's gonna lead you places that you don't wanna go. For the disciples, it was a geographical location called Samaria. But for you and I, sometimes these things can be things in our heart. They're doors that we close in our heart. They're things that have happened in our life where we just say, Jesus, you can have all of my life, but just not this little bit. Jesus, there's things that have happened in my life that are just too painful for me to even talk about, think about. Uh, Jesus, you have no idea what that, that person did to me or how they've hurt me. I can't deal with that person right now, Jesus. So everything else, God, is, is open to you. But this area here, no, no, I just, that's my Samaria. Jesus, we can't go there. We can't go there, Jesus. Everywhere else, Jesus, it's, it's there. Go for it. But this one area, Jesus, you can't go there, Jesus. This is, this is my Samaria. And Jesus is trying to teach His disciples that to be a true follower means that sometimes He's gonna go somewhere and the act of whether or not you're a follower or not is when Jesus looks over His shoulder, if you're still there, then you're a follower. But if you're nowhere to be found, then how can you call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not actually prepared to follow where He goes? Is that all right? 
Will we follow? What is the Samarias in our place, in our life? You know, Samarias for, for us really, they're represented by those hard places. Sometimes it represents like a person who we need to forgive. Sometimes there's this person in our life that we just need to release forgiveness to. Sometimes there's a job opportunity that comes our way that we're just scared to step through the door because God is in the unknown. We don't know what's gonna happen there. We don't know what's gonna take place. It's a step of faith that you're asking me to take, but fear creeps in and it starts to whisper to us and speak to us and we hesitate and to be able to take that step. Sometimes that's our Samaria. Sometimes our Samaria is things and events that have have taken place in our life, but God wants us to keep moving forward. For us, you know, a Samaria may be somewhere that's uncomfortable, It may be somewhere that's represented where there's pressure, where it's like, it's inconvenient. God, why would you do that when we could actually go this way? But sometimes He leads us into all these places. You know, He's not doing this to hurt us. He's doing this to help us. Even, you know, we would wish, and I think it's in our own human nature sometimes that we want God to actually go the long way around. We say, God, please, just, just, I'm happy. Just let's, it's gonna take a little bit longer to get there, I know. But let's just go the long way around, God, because it's too painful to deal with that part there. But you know what God's plan is? King David records it in Psalm 23. His plan is that He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't bypass His way around it. He's not gonna take the more respectable route. He's not gonna take that road that might be a little bit more comfortable for you to deal with. Sometimes He takes us right through the very middle of everything. But like King David said, you don't have to fear any evil because He's with us. His rod and His staff, they lead us and they guide us and they comfort us. He'll be with us every single step of the way so we don't have to worry or fear what's gonna happen to us in that Samaria that we're dealing with as because Jesus is there with us. Isn't that good news? God is doing such great things. Sometimes for us, our Samaria is necessary to go through because it's connected to our purpose. You think, how does that even work? Sometimes we've got to face some things in our life because we don't realise it at the time. But up ahead, God knows that unless we deal with this area right now, up ahead, we'll find it hard to step into the purposes and plans that He has for our life because we haven't dealt with it right back here when He asked us to. That's why He leads us to these things sometimes. You know, I I remember for me to be standing up here and talking to, to you guys, you know, my teachers at school would be laughing right now. You know, they would look and think, wow, you know, uh, they would never expect that this would be something that I would ever do. In, in high school for me, I focused a lot on English uh, and history. Um, whereas in my school, um, the people that always uh, were the most academic were your math science people. Um, we had other names for them, but we would call them the math science people because you're probably, some of you are probably math science people as well. And uh, we had, uh, in our school, there used to be this award that they give out. I don't know if they still do it. It's like the Ducks of the School Award. And in my school, uh, every year, uh, that award always went to a math science person. So the year that I was in year 12, the principal came up to me. He said, Joseph, I just want to let you know that um, you uh, came so close to breaking that record, uh, being the first English history person to ever be awarded the Ducks of the School in our school. It was like a 100-year-old school. And, and you would have been the first person to be awarded that award. He said, but the thing that let you down was your public speaking. Uh, he said, yeah, you suck at public speaking, Joseph. Um, he probably didn't say it like that, but that's how I heard it. Um, so every time after that, I used to get up to go and do any sort of public speaking, to, to preach, to do messages, to even do a life group, to do anything that was in front of people. I had my principal's voice in my ear. And that became something for me that was a little bit of a Samaria 
Because what would happen is that when opportunities would come my way to come and speak in places, what I would do is give them away to other people. Because I would say that I was just doing the humble thing and I was just trying to let other people go forward and let them succeed and fulfil the dreams in their life. And I'm trying to push other people forward. Secretly, I wished it was me, but I was too scared to actually get up on the stage and do whatever it was that I was being asked to go and do. So I'd be like, oh, no, that person's got a great gift. You should get them to come and speak. I know you asked for me to come, but this person's got an amazing story. You should get them to come and share their story. And I was always pushing other people to go and do it. And everyone's going, oh, he's so humble, you know, they're so awesome. I wasn't humble, I was just scared. And I just didn't want to get to be the guy up on the platform because my stomach, if you could see inside, there would be like butterflies in there everywhere. And, and I would burst into sweat. And literally, if I had to do some, an oral presentation at school, I had to take a change of clothes. I would be sweating so much through everything. And, uh, and that was just it. This was a Samaria in my life that God wanted to deal with because He knew what was up ahead. And so what happened is it would have been about maybe 13, 14 years ago, we were living in Geelong. And uh, every year in Geelong, they do the community carols. Um, And so the city comes together and and they celebrate Christmas. And what they do is they, every year, they get one of the pastors from the town just to hop up and share a 10 minute segment, uh, just like a Christmas message. And so every year, I never thought this would ever come to me because I wasn't a senior, I was a youth pastor in Geelong. And so then one year though, they asked me and they rang me and said, Joseph, could you come and do this? And I'm thinking, there's like 2000 people that turn up to this event. You want me to get up there in front of 2000 people and share for 10 minutes? Like, yeah, no way, that's not gonna happen. I didn't say that to them. That's what I was saying to myself. And I was like, let me pray about it. You know, I was doing the spiritual thing. Uh, Let me pray about it. And so uh, meanwhile, while, I'm supposed to be praying about it. I'm ringing every other pastor, every youth pastor, every kids pastor that I know of saying, hey, I've got this great opportunity. Uh, And and at first it was like, yeah, I can't, I'm going away, I'm on holidays, my wife's pregnant, we're getting married. It's like every excuse possible that you could think of. And, And finally I'm getting desperate. So I'm ringing up people going, hey, I was praying the other day and I really believe God put on my heart. And I was using that sort of language. None of us do that. No, of course not. But uh Every, every door was shut. Nobody was saying yes. What it was is Jesus was leading me to my Samaria. He was trying to get me to deal with this fear that was there about doing this and speaking in front of people. And, and so the, the night came around. You asked my wife, the week leading up to that particular event, I did not eat at all that whole week. Um, I told people I was fasting. I wasn't. I was just nervous and I could not eat any food. I was so nervous about getting up there and doing that. Uh, I had been told from other pastors that had done the 10 minute segment, they had given me their horror stories about what happens in that 10 minute segment. Nobody's there to really listen to a gospel message. That 10 minute section was like the interval where you get up and go and get some more stubbies and you get hot dogs for the kids. And that was the interval. And the year before me, the, the guy that got up there actually preached for so long. I think he was like so determined to save everybody's soul from hell that he got up there and he preached for like 20 minutes up there. He was only given 10, but he, had, he went for 20 and it didn't look like any sign of getting up. They were throwing beer cans at him while he was up there preaching. So in my mind, I've got this going through. I was just like, dear God, what have I got myself into? And so I get there and, and um, there's... Uh, a bumper attendance that year. So I was planning for 2,000. There was about three, three and a half there that year. 
uh, I get there to the trailer, um, to stand up onto the trailer, to get up onto the platform. And the guy that's there that hands the microphones to us, uh, he handed me the microphone and he said to me, just so you're aware, tonight we're also uh, recording this live uh, on the radio. So it's going out on K-Rock or something like that down in Geelong. And I'm there like going, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, the estimated listening audience is roughly maybe around 40, 50,000 people. And I'm there going, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't need to hear that like five seconds before I'm about to get out there. And what I noticed when I got up onto the stage as I was watching around, I hadn't seen it before, but around the perimeter of the, the crowd, there were also all these vans. And what they hadn't told me was that that night particularly, they were also, they had film crews that were there and they were filming that particular night to put it out uh, on Channel 31. And I thought, well, nobody watches Channel 31 anyway, so <laughs> I'm pretty safe there. But they said, no, the, ex the estimated viewing audience that night for Channel 31 was gonna be around about 120,000 people. So I'm trying to do that maths in my head and I've got my 10 minute thing. I am so nervous. I haven't eaten all week. This was my Samaria. This was the thing that I had feared the most. I sensed Jesus was with me. He was leading me there. I had no idea what it was all about. I, had, I, I really have no idea what I even said when I got out onto the thing. All I know is that I went for 10 minutes exactly. The guy that handed me the mic said, listen, we're ahead of schedule. So you can actually go for longer if you want to because we're so far ahead. I just said, listen, you're gonna get 10 minutes out of me and that's it. I've rehearsed 10 minutes. That's all you're gonna get from me is 10 minutes. So I went out there and I did my 10 minutes. And honestly, I don't have any idea what I didn't, it wasn't like angels descended from heaven and people started bawling their eyes out and people running to the front asking Jesus into the, none of that took place at all. I really don't know if anyone got saved at all from my 10 minute talk. Maybe I'll find out one day. I did have people come up to me during the week. Oh, you're the guy from the TV. Yeah, okay, I saw you on there. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but I really have no clue. All I do know though, is that that was the first year that during the 10 minute segment, not one person moved. That went down in history as like, wow, not one person moved in that segment. And I don't know what God was doing. Maybe it was like Daniel and the lion's den. Maybe he sent angels to shut the mouths of all the screaming babies and, and everybody else that was wandering around to get stubbies and everything else. I don't know what God was doing there, but I know what He did inside of me. He dealt with all that fear because I was prepared to go with Him on a journey to my Samaria so that he could deal with that fear that was in my life to be able to step through. You know, some of these things that we, come on, give God a clap. That was. Sometimes when you're in the middle of a situation, you have no idea what God is actually doing or how it's working or anything else like that, but it's connected to your purpose and it's connected to what he has for you up ahead. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He's a good shepherd. We can trust Him. You know, Samaria might be a difficult place to visit, but if Jesus is with you, it's okay. He'll go with you every single step of the way. You know, for me, Samaria is represented by something else as well. In that, like most of us in this room, I have a mum. You know, I'm, hoping, I'm pretty sure all of us are in that same category. We all have a mum. Some of you may even have a stepmom. And I have both of those. And some of you might even have a mother-in-law, you know, and, and I even have some mums in the church who are like a, a spiritual mum to me as well. I'm trying to collect the whole set. And I've discovered last year, I actually have one that none of you have in that my stepmom 
Uh, sorry, now my mother-in-law has now actually become my stepmom number two. So no one's got that one. So I have the full set. I win, you know. But I remember my first memory as, as a child when I was five was the day that my mum left. And I didn't really understand too much at the time. I didn't really know what was going on. It's, I'm a five-year-old, but I do remember that day in our lounge room in Sydney, just crying out, screaming out, Mummy, don't go, Mummy, don't go. I didn't know where she was going, why she was going, how long she would be gone for. But it turned out we just wouldn't see each other again for another 13 years after that. And as a five-year-old, something gets stuck inside of you. And I didn't really realise it at the time, but there was lots of anger that was building on the inside of me and unforgiveness that was building on the inside of me. And God was good to me. My dad remarried. I had a wonderful stepmom. She was, she was like an amazing mum to me. And, and, you know, I became a Christian. My dad became a Christian. You know, we ended up going and moving to Queensland and, and God was doing some great things in my life and it was all good. But when I was 18, there was this desire in my life to actually reconnect again with my mum. And I just had questions and I wanted to ask her certain things. Um, why did you leave? And, and all these sorts of things. So as an 18 year old, I, I knew where she was living. I tracked down her address and, and we agreed to meet in a shopping centre in Queensland. And so I remember the day, it was kind of a very surreal sort of experience in that this person who biologically is my mother, um, that, that she was there and when we saw each other, she burst into tears and she started hugging me and we hadn't seen each other for such a long time. And it was like she had all this love for all those years that just wanted to, she was like squeezing me to death. It was like, and I'm there like, this is a strange woman hugging me in a supermarket in, in a shopping centre. And it felt very awkward and very weird for me. And I just was like, yeah, okay. And she was poking me and just, you know, and she couldn't believe and that it was me and, and everything else. And, and, and it, was, it was nice. We had, a, had some time together and, and we left that catch up and we made a decision to stay in touch with each other. And so we would write each other letters. And one day in one of her letters, she wrote me something that I don't know what it was. I can't remember exactly what she said, but it triggered something inside of me. And I just wrote down in my mail to her, in my letter to her, just a whole lot of angry, angry, angry talk. And I just spewed it all out at her. I told her that she wasn't a good mum, that my stepmom's more of a mum to me than you'll ever be, that I can't believe you left me, you know, I can't believe you did all these things. I can't believe you still wanna be my mother and look at what you did, you know, you don't deserve to have children. I told her all these words and I sent it off to her, stuck a stamp on it and posted it to her. And sufficient to say that that cut the relationship for the next 14 years. We didn't talk to each other. We didn't communicate. We, we weren't in each other's worlds for the next 14 years. For me, the sad thing is, is that in that time I got married. So my mum wasn't at my wedding day. We had kids. My mum wasn't around to see my, her grandkids, my kids. And there was always a part of my life that was missing. By this stage, I'm a pastor in a church. I'm pastoring down in Warrnambool and, and I'm getting up there and I have no problem telling other people about, hey, you've got to forgive people. 
You got to forgive. Jesus forgave you. You got to forgive. And I would show them all the scripture verses and how much God loves everybody. And and I would preach all these messages about forgiveness and everything, not realizing that I had a Samaria in my own life that I was refusing to go to. I had unforgiveness in my heart towards my mother. And I would be preaching to everybody else, but I just wouldn't take that own, my own advice on for myself. It began to, it was like a cancer. It began to eat away. It began to eat away at my relationships with other people. It began to eat away with my relationship with Kathy. It began to eat away at, at just relationships, this unforgiveness that I was harbouring. Pastor Richard says all the time that unforgiveness is like, you know, uh, having this poison and, and you drinking it and expecting the other person to die. And, and that's what exactly what it was like in this situation. And I had this unforgiveness that was there. I would never talk about it. I would never say anything about it, but this was my Samaria. This was the place that I wouldn't go to. Yet Jesus was trying to lead me on a journey because He knew what was up ahead and He knew what was coming. He said, I need to take you to this place. And so in His way, the the way that He does it, He's like, yeah, we could take the the long way around and go there or we could just go straight through Samaria. My nanu died and and, um, I was going to the funeral and my, I knew my mum was going to be there. This is 14 years after we'd sent that letter. And it was at the funeral that, you know, I, God was leading up to that. God was speaking to me about what I needed to say when I saw her. And He was softening my heart and He was whispering words in my ear about things that I needed to tell her and ask forgiveness for her from, uh, for. And it was like a bit of a prodigal son moment that on the plane on the way to Sydney, I remember trying to write down exactly what I would say to her um, because I wanted to get it clear and I wanted to make sure I said the right things and I was preparing this speech to say to her when I saw her at the funeral. And when I got to the funeral, it was like, you know, it it was in the wake afterwards that she was there standing alone in the corner. So I went up to her and it was like I recited this, this speech that I had been preparing for her. I don't know what I said. I don't remember exactly what I said. I do remember her her standing there just looking at me. She waited for me to finish everything I needed to say. But I could see the tears welling up in her eyes as I was talking to her. And my ungodly mother um, was more godly that day than me who had been a pastor. She came running up to me and put her arms around me. And she just hugged on me. And she whispered into my ear, she goes, I love you, I forgive you, you're my son. And she just did that. And God was so good to us. You know, from, we made a decision at that moment, at that point in time, to stay in touch again. So every Sunday I would ring her. And every Sunday we would talk about our week and what had happened in our week and, and you know, things that we'd been going through in that week. God in His grace to us made a way for us to move to Queensland. So in the year 2000, we moved to Queensland. We lived actually just 20 minutes away from her house. So she got to meet my kids. And she got to be grandma to Nana, to to her grandkids. And I got to watch her with my kids and play with my kids and the way she was with my kids. And she was a really good mum. And I got to see her do all of those things. And God gave us that period of time. I'm so grateful to God for doing that. In the year 2001, we moved back to Victoria and and it was only a few months into that year that I got the phone call from my stepdad to say that my mum had passed away. She had been sick. She hadn't told us how sick she was and she had just passed away overnight. And that came as a huge shock to me. But I was so grateful to God 
for that opportunity that He had allowed for us to go there. It would never have happened if I had never gone to my Samaria and deal with that. Otherwise, I would have, she would have just passed away and I would have had all this regret. I would have had all this stuff bottled up on the inside that I wouldn't be able to ever tell her what I really felt or ask her for forgiveness. God in His grace made a way for that to actually happen and that to come to pass. And I, and I look at this and I think, well, I'm no special than anybody else. I understand that all of us have some areas in our life. We all have places that, that we close the door off to. Maybe it's represented by a person. Maybe it's represented by a situation or something that's happened. Maybe it's represented by a fear or a, an obstacle in your way. Maybe it's sickness in your body. Whatever it is, there is this thing that we wonder, God, why do we have to walk through this? God, this is a closed area, but Jesus today is saying, hey, I wanna take you by the hand. I wanna lead you there. Will you follow? Will you follow? If you wanna know what it takes to be a, a follower of Jesus, it's simply that. It's just simply going where He goes. It's simply just saying what He says to say. It's simply just doing what He says to go and do. That's what it takes to actually go and be that follower of Jesus. Not closing off the doors of our heart, but letting them stay open to Him and whatever it is that He wants to do. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. My encouragement to you today, church, is that don't close the door. Whatever Jesus is whispering into your ear, wherever He wants to lead you, whatever Samaria's might be in front of you, don't hold back, but just follow wherever He wants to go. And maybe it involves sending a text message to someone you haven't talked to for quite a few years. Maybe it's having a coffee appointment. Maybe it's saying yes to an opportunity that you haven't said yes to because you've been too afraid. Maybe it's doing something very practical to step out and say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow wherever you lead. But as someone who's done that and been there, I understand that the, the results afterwards is like, wow, God, thank you. Thank you so much. You came through for me. You were there with me every single step of the way. You never left me. You never forsook me. You were there every, sing, every place that I went. That's my prayer for all of us today, church. Hi, I'm Richard Gabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you. that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.